Chapter 9 of Eight Keys to Eden by Mark Clifton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dale Grothman. It bothers me. It bothers me a lot, Cal said to the two E's following the review, that Eden should be more favorable to effortless human existence than Earth. He snapped on the communicator and asked the ship be in readiness for takeoff. McGinnis and Wong looked at one another. You think it might have been the original Garden of Eden? Wong asked. His face was impassive. It fits, you know. Man was banished from the ideal condition and forced to live by the sweat of his brow. Not that so much, Cal said. Not unless the whole concept of evolution is haywire, and we're reasonably sure it isn't that far off. Probably the colonists have gone on strike. But I still keep thinking that when we want to catch rats, we set a trap with a better food than they can get normally. There was a twinkle in McGinnis's eye. You think Eden is an alluring trap especially baited to catch human beings? He asked. I don't exactly think that. I just keep wondering, Cal answered. They were interrupted by a diffident yet insistent knock on the door. This in itself was such a violation of EHQ rules, never to interrupt the thinking of an E, that all three stopped talking. The three juniors, who had been sitting by, listening, arose from their seats and stood facing the door. The orderlies looked to the E's for instruction. At a nod from McGinnis, one of them walked over to the door and opened it. Bill Hayes was standing there, flushed with embarrassment. "'Your pardon, Ease,' he said hurriedly. "'I'm just an errand boy under the instruction from the General Administration. We have been served with a court injunction to prevent assignment of a junior to the Eden matter.' Cal froze in alarm and disappointment. At the last moment to have his chance snatched away from him. He should have gone immediately the review was over without waiting for any advice McGinnis and Wong might care to give. Now, McGinnis caught his eye and gave a slight nod toward a door that opened on another hallway. He flashed a command with his eyes to get going, then turned back to Hayes. I was unaware that ease must heed court orders, he said frostily. It's a question of where civil jurisdiction stops and e-jurisdiction takes over, Hayes explained nervously. While the colonists are employed by EHQ and under their direction, it is held they are also Earth citizens, with citizens' rights. Civil authority feels it must answer for their welfare. I thought the restrictions upon the e's were removed by an act of World Congress some seventy years ago, Wong said mildly. The injunction makes it clear that there is no restriction upon a senior E, just the junior who really isn't an E yet. It is the decision of the E's that a junior will handle this problem, McGinnis said, and turned his back as if that settled the matter. Hayes cleared his throat nervously. I'm sorry, he said. If it were up to me, well, the argument before the court ran this way that where there is no restriction upon an E in arriving at a solution, there is also no compulsion by civil authority to adopt that solution. They cited instances, 
Well, any number of instances. It seems... Cal heard no more. He had been pacing the room, and now, while Hayes' perspiring attention was focused imploringly on Wong and McGinnis, he slipped out the door. The orderly at that door raised a finger in salute, and, at Cal's request, quickly wheeled a hall cart from the storage closet. Take me out to the Eden ship, Cal said quietly. You know where it is? Yes, the orderly answered. He took his place at the controls, and Cal slipped into the seat beside him. They sped through the halls at maximum speed, out the rear exit of the E-building, down the maze of ramps, and out across the landing field to the entrance of the ship. Cal expected to see guards posted there to enforce the injunction, but none were in evidence. As they drew up to the open door, he saw Linwood and Norton, the pilot and engineer, standing just inside waiting for him. There was no strain in their faces to show they had received orders not to take off with him. He climbed out of the car, and with another nod the orderly drove it back to the E-building. Henceforward, the ship's crew would be the E's orderlies. Cal climbed the short ramp and entered the ship. You have clearance to take off at once? he asked Linwood. Linwood nodded. Since early morning, he answered. Fine, let's get going, Cal said. I'm in a hurry, of course, he added with a grin. Of course, the two men answered. Then, seeing his grin, relaxed and returned it. Apparently, this E was human. It took only a minute for them to reach the control room, where Louis sat in his navigator's cubby, and only ten more seconds for the ship to lift clear. And still, no command came over the radio to halt them. Someone in civil authority had slipped. Had Gunderson really felt that a simple injunction would stop everything, that the ease would not challenge this encroachment? Was he playing some deeper game, allowing the junior to slip through his fingers in the hope he would louse up the Eden rescue, add strength to the campaign to bring the ease back under civil control? His control? Or had someone genuinely slipped? The command to halt, turn around, and return to base did not come until their second hop had brought them into the Mars orbit. Then it came from space police, in charge of the shipping traffic at that point. I am under orders from EHQ to proceed, Tom answered, after a quick, questioning look at Cal. The Attorney General's office orders you to halt, the voice commanded. Tom looked at Cal again, questioning. This was bucking the federal government. His license wouldn't be worth the paper it was written on if he ignored the order, to say nothing of any other punishment they might choose to hand him. Keep going, Cal answered shortly, and make your next jump as quickly as you can. I am under orders to keep going, Tom answered the police. If he refused the request of an E, a lifetime of work would go down the drain. Over in his seat, Frank Norton's fingers were speeding through the intricate pattern of setting up the next jump. He and Louis were working as one man. I am under orders to disable you if you refuse, the police warned. We have an E on board, Tom answered. You'd be risking a lot. I am advised that he is a junior E, the voice said in clipped speech. Not such a risk. As far as I'm concerned, Tom answered laconically. He's an E. I have to follow his orders. 
He nodded to Frank, who touched the jump switch. There was an instant silence. They were at the approach of the asteroid belt. They can get us here, Louis spoke up. We have to give over control so they can take us through. No chart can keep up to the microsecond on these asteroid movements. They have to calculate a path in short hops and take us through a step at a time. I keep saying there ought to be an expressway out of the solar system, but... What about a good long jump at right angles? Cal asked. Get over it instead of through it. It's illegal, Louis complained. Our necks are already out, Tom said quietly. Okay, you're the boss, but I'll have to figure it. It takes time to figure it. Well, get on it. There's stuff all over, Louis explained. Not just a band like most people think. The asteroids are moving at right angles, too. Not so thick, but there's a glob of stuff. Not just a belt. Maybe a bunch of little jumps. We can't start making them until you figure them, Louis, Frank reminded him. The radio gave its hum of life, and a voice came through. We have orders from space police not to escort you through, to turn you back. This is an E-ship with an E on board. His command is to come through, Tom said. I just work here, the voice answered, as if it were bored and tired. I take my orders from space control. Tom looked over at Louis. Louis apparently caught the look out of the corner of his eye and impatiently wagged a finger not to bother him. His other hand was speeding through the movements of manipulating the astrocalculator. Then he nodded his head, still not looking up, and the coordinates flashed in front of Frank. Now, as rapidly as Louis, Frank set up the pattern of the jump band. I'll take my orders from the E's, Tom answered in a voice that matched the boredom, tiredness. Then, with a nod from Frank, Now, he said. There was silence again. It's going to add at least an hour, Louis complained. I've got to pick my way through this muck. We've got time now, Tom answered easily. Not likely they can find us out here, away from the regular lanes. Not unless we run across a prowl ship, Louis said. You know there's some smuggling, and now and then a shipping company thinks it could beat the rap, not pay the toll, by doing the same thing we're doing. The prowl patrol is on to all these tricks. We're not the first ones to try it. Just keep figuring, Louis. All right, all right, Louis quarreled back. Tom looked at Cal and grimaced. Louis's all right, he said. Just has to complain. I'm sure of it, Cal answered with a grin. It took closer to two hours. They had no way of knowing how many times the space police had made a fix on their position, only too late to catch them hovering there. There must have been some fix made, and a pretty careful calculation of where they would go next, for as they neared the outer moons of Jupiter, the radio crackled into life. This is your last warning. We intend to board you and take over. We will disintegrate your ship if you resist. Cal took the microphone into his own hands to answer. We intend to keep going, he said. This is a jurisdictional dispute between the Attorney General's office and EHQ. We will not allow you to board us. 
and i suggest you get confirmation of orders to disintegrate us directly from the attorney general in person meanwhile you can pass the buck to your saturn patrol if these orders are confirmed tom nodded to frank and the next jump key was pressed in the saturn field still another voice came through orders from the attorney general himself are to allow you to proceed say linwood what is this all about some sort of petty squabbling over who gives orders to who linwood answered i just work here he added tiredly well said the voice so do i guess they'll fight it out in courts now you understand we had our orders you understand so did i tom answered sure the voice answered and cut out cal wondered whether the orders to disintegrate had been a bluff would the attorney general have dared disintegrate a ship with even a junior e on board maybe it had been just a threat of the local police one they didn't expect to have called or maybe he had played directly into the attorney general's hands by defying him and getting that defiance on record was what the man had wanted whatever it was the eden matter had become bigger than merely finding out what had happened to some colonists whatever it was he'd better find a successful solution because the attorney general was counting on him to fail and if he did fail certainly the position of junior e would be altered and possibly a deep thrust into the very heart of the senior e position as well End of chapter nine of eight keys to eden by mark clifton read by dale grothman